go, if you would go ahead and be turning to Romans chapter 12. Be starting in verse 9. <clears throat> what are the markers of a supernatural church? What is it that distinguishes this congregation as belonging to Christ as opposed to just a social club where we come and hang out. Paul shows us that the, where the distinction begins is in the opening verses of chapter 12. It starts with the mercy of God and salvation. And it moves into verse 2, continues with our sanctification. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And last week we saw that from the renewed mind, which is focused on Christ, comes this genuine, authentic love that is essential for making and training disciples. The kind of love that is truly dedicated, devoted to the good of others and produces selfless, committed, familial brotherly love and affection inside the church. What's the difference between an attitude of love and an action of love? Actions prove the attitude is really there. We can say that we have genuine love without actually having any of the fruit of that love. But genuine love must produce outward acts. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, as James says. And he goes on to say, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And the same can be said of love. What good is it to say that we genuinely love God and people and have nothing to show for it? If we allow our minds to be renewed in such a way that love flows in supernatural ways, then we can expect that God will empower amazing acts of supernatural love in our community for his glory. Pray with me. Lord, we don't even know what love is apart from you. We thank you for the mercy you have shown us who are saved, and we ask that you would continue to renew our minds day by day as we focus our attention on Christ, who left us an example of selfless love and service that we may follow in his footsteps. And we can't follow Christ the way we should in our own strength. We pray for supernaturally renewed minds, minds that may glorify you in all we do. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, 
be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. The supernatural Christian community that is effective for the master's mission will be marked by radical service. So the first question we have to ask ourselves is, who is being served in this text? Who is the object of our zealous, our fervent, or enthusiastic service? The text says Christ the Lord. However, it's clear from the context here and in many other places in Scripture that we are actually serving Christ by serving one another. And this is an incredible reality. You don't have to worry about, am I serving Christ? Am I serving others? They're one and the same. To serve the body of Christ is to serve Christ. Remember what Paul says earlier in verses 4 through 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. One body in Christ, the body of Christ on earth. Let's look at Matthew chapter 25, starting verse 34. Jesus is talking about the end times and his return. And he's talking about the separating of the sheep from the goats, those who are in the kingdom of God and those who aren't. And listen to what he says here. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. He's talking about the sheep in the family of God, the brothers and sisters in Christ, his co-heirs of the kingdom. Our service done to the body of Christ is done to Jesus himself. Looking at Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. It's clear. We serve Christ, our Lord, by serving the body of Christ. And he sees our service. He sees the service we render to others, and it is he who rewards. And that, that is an amazing thought. And it should cause us to evaluate how well we are serving others. In genuine brotherly love and affection or with hypocritical fake love? Because if our love to the body is fake, then our love for Jesus is fake. Secondly, what, in what way should we serve? Begrudgingly? Reluctantly? With resentment when I get around to it? By no means, Paul would say with zeal and enthusiasm. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent or enthusiastic in spirit. 
Just before this in verse 10, Paul tells us to outdo one another in showing honor, right? And that's not a competitive outworking each other. It's leading the way, leading the way in honoring, leading the way in serving. Remember the disciples had that argument about who is the greatest in the kingdom. (laughs) That's not what it's about. Remember, Jesus emptied himself and became a servant. So that word slothful paints a pretty good picture. Slow moving, unenergetic, lazy, sluggish. There's an animal called a sloth we're probably all familiar with. Probably seen one either in a zoo or on TV, right? They hang out in trees, moving excruciatingly slow. So slow, in fact, that moss will actually grow on them. They move so slow. Don't be slothful in zeal. Zeal is the opposite. It's diligence, haste, forward-leaning with eagerness. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. Like the runner who's waiting for the starting pistol at the race. I like to do this with August and Jude when they're racing each other. They get online, they're sitting there waiting for me to say go, and I'll just, I'll hesitate because they just, they start leaning into it, anticipating the word go. Occasionally one of them will fall over. (laughs) They're so anticipating with eagerness the go, to outdo one another, right? And that word fervent isn't one we use much, right? It means focus, intensity, enthusiastic service for Christ, not a poor attitude. Literally boiling, boiling hot for the Lord. Remember what Jesus says in Revelation to the church at Laodicea? I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold, cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Some of us need to repent of our slothfulness in serving the Lord. We've been lethargic for far too long. Repent and serve with zeal, eagerness, knowing that it is the Lord Jesus Christ we serve. Think about the other things that we pursue with zeal, with gusto, our finances, love, sports, our careers, Netflix. We should have far more zeal in serving Christ, serving one another than we have for any of those things. But it means we're gonna have to make time for it. We're gonna have to dedicate energy to it. We're gonna have to make sacrifices. But it's really no sacrifice at all to serve our Savior who gave us the example of how to serve. We do have to be careful here. We cannot leave here thinking that we earn favor with God. Outdoing one another to get brownie points with God is not the idea. That's not how it works. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15.10, 
But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. We serve Christ by the strength that God supplies, so that God may receive the glory through Jesus Christ. But this is not easy, is it? It's not easy. The longer you serve others, the more you'll find out how difficult it can be. But what can sustain this sort of radical, zealous service? The supernatural Christian community that is effective for the master's mission will be marked by radical service to Christ and radical hope in Christ. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. To persevere in service with zeal and enthusiasm is going to require a strong foundation of hope from which to operate. But what is our hope? What sustains us through life as we give our all for Christ, as things get tough, as the people we love sometimes become what's tough <laughs> in our lives, right? So if, we, if you were waiting around for people that you have served to come and find you and to thank you and make note of every kind thing you've ever done, you're going to become a very bitter person very quickly. People, people always let people down. If your hope is in being appreciated and noticed for all that you've done, be prepared for massive disappointment. People will fail. But Christ never fails. And he never fails to notice the service that is done in his name. And that's not to say that we shouldn't be thankful people, that we shouldn't acknowledge the service that is done and rendered to us, right? We should be people of gratitude. But we're flawed. We miss things. We're selfish at times. Christ is flawless. God wasn't basing his hope on the thankfulness of Israel as they, wandered, as they left Egypt and wandered in the wilderness. They struggled with thankfulness and gratitude, and so do we. But God knows a greater hope than mankind. It's himself. He had a plan, a plan to bring true and lasting hope that he knew could not be overcome by bad attitudes or grumbling. And we've already said that our service to the body of Christ is service to Christ himself, right? Work heartily is to the Lord. You are serving the Lord Christ. Our hope doesn't come from the praise of man. Where does it come from? It comes from Jesus, specifically the death and resurrection of Jesus, to pay off our sin debt to God, to clothe us in his righteousness, and to bring us to God as sons and daughters, to reconcile us. We died to sin and death and have been raised to new life in Christ. We live in that reality with faith in Christ as our one sure foundation. If you've been in Sunday school, you're probably familiar with these verses. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. It's the hope that comes from our living Savior. He has purchased for us an imperishable inheritance that is just waiting to be received in full. We have tasted just a little bit of it now. We've had an appetizer, but the full course is coming. And that's our hope. That's what we look to. And that's a different kind of hope than just waiting around on somebody to pat you on the back and tell you you did a good job. And it's also the kind of hope which helps you to be patient in tribulations. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulations. Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as if it were unexpected. If we're surprised, it's our fault. Trials and tribulations are going to come our way. It's just part of the Christian life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.17 about these trials and tribulations, they are light momentary afflictions which are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What a comforting thought that is. That's not to say they don't hurt. It's not to say that we don't feel it, but that there's a purpose in it. Rejoice in hope. Why? Because you have an eternal inheritance in Christ. Be patient tribulations because it's producing an eternal weight of glory. It's not pointless suffering. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have an eternal hope that no trial or tribulation can touch. It's the solid rock of Christ. So that's how you and I can rejoice and come what may because Christ is on the throne. We can endure with patience because we have hope in him. But we cannot do this alone. Not in our own strength. We must be constant in prayer. Open continuous communion with God, a constant awareness of God in everything that we do. The line of communication with God is ongoing, and we must take advantage of it. We don't just sit around waiting to be filled with hope. We must seek it out. We shouldn't lose heart in the seeking, but should persist in prayer like the widow in Jesus' parable in Luke 18, who because of her persistence received justice from an unjust judge, and what does Jesus say next? And, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? 
Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find us persistent in prayer? Or will we be sleeping? Ephesians 6, 18. Paul is talking about, he's reminding us that we are at war. He's been talking about the full armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, like sandals on our feet, and the shield of faith, and of course the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then he says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Persistence, perseverance. Paul says again in 1 Thessalonians, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. How? Rejoice in hope. What is the means by which we can do that? Constant praying without ceasing, to be filled with that hope. This world is an uphill climb, swimming upstream against the schemes of the devil, the world, our own flesh. From where does our help come? It comes from the Lord. And that's why we must be constant in prayer. We cannot afford to give up on it. It provides us with the very thing we need but cannot produce on our own. It's only by hoping in Christ that we will produce the kind of joy and patience that will sustain us through trials and tribulations. The supernatural Christian community that is effective for the master's mission will be marked by radical service, radical hope in Christ, and radical hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That word contribute is koinonia, to come into communion or enter into fellowship with, to make oneself a partner with, becoming a partner in fellowship with those saints who have needs. Paul's going to write later on in Romans chapter 15 about a collection that's being taken up from the Gentiles and delivered to the saints in Jerusalem. And he says that the Gentiles were pleased to do it. Not only were they pleased to do it, but that they owed it to the saints in Jerusalem. It was a duty and a pleasure all at the same time. They had a duty to contribute, but they did it with genuine love. They were pleased. God loves a cheerful giver, not a hypocritical giver. Judas was happy to contribute until it was no longer beneficial to him. As soon as he realized he wasn't going to get something out of it, what he wanted out of it, what did he do? He, he turns on Christ. I forgot to include this in my cross-references, but Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I can tell you personally that my family has experienced this from this body of believers. We have been on the receiving end of 
of, of you all uh, taking our needs into consideration. And it, it's been amazing to watch the love that has come out of this body. So I can personally vouch for that. How do we show hospitality? We make it difficult sometimes. We make it sound like it's, it's hard. You just invite people into your life and show them love. It's not complicated. You just do life together. And this is where people tend to be more comfortable, opening up and being real. It, it, is, it is wonderful to come together, talk to each other in the hallways, in the, out here before the service starts, but it's hard for people to really open up in those circumstances sometimes. Some people are better at it than others, but in, a, in an atmosphere where love and respect is being shown, where people feel like they're cared about, this is where people are more likely to be real and authentic and really share what's going on in their lives. And this is true of believers and unbelievers. People feel like you care about them as a person, and they'll trust you more, and they'll trust you enough to open up. And that's where hospitality comes in. Has there ever been a community on earth that fits the mold we see here? the mold we see in Romans chapter 12 that we've been studying? Is there a group of believers on earth that we can point to as an example of what it looks like to be Christ-focused and radically reshape your community and the world? In Acts chapter 2, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the earliest example of the church as we know it on record. And it was radically different than anything the world had seen up to this point. They were contributing to each other's needs, showing hospitality, fellowshipping, rejoicing in the hope of Christ. They were constant in prayer. They were dedicated to the word of God. And they served the Lord with zeal and enthusiasm. And what was the result? They focused on the master, Jesus. They focused on the master's mission. And as a result... This supernatural community produced supernatural love in such a way that led to supernatural acts of service, which led to people being saved. They looked in 
on this Christian community that was so different from anything they had seen. And they didn't see a bunch of people striving for their own gains. They saw Christ. And it resulted in changed lives. If you are a Christian today, God has done a supernatural work in your life. A miracle. And he has put you on a supernatural mission. And a big part of that will be your supernatural love for the people in this room. The people on Zoom who couldn't be here today. The world, world will know that we are Christ's disciples by the way that we love one another. The people sitting next to you. Therefore, we must pursue genuine love that comes from our knowledge of how much we are loved by God. We have to keep our focus on Christ and remember that the mission is empowered by Christ. We must authentically love one another by acts of service, grounded in hope and worked out in relationships through hospitality so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are amazed by the grace with which you have shown us in Jesus Christ. We are humbled by the way you have loved us. At the way which you emptied yourself and served, left us an example. And I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes on Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith, as we run the race with endurance. May we serve by the example you have shown us with zeal and enthusiasm, and may we love each other truly and authentically as you have loved us so that the world may know that we are your disciples and that there is hope only in you.